So going into today, today's message, as I said, we're going through the series called Restored, and we're inviting God into these painful places, these places where we feel possibly vulnerable and even ashamed. And today, the, the place we're going to invite God into is the place where we stand before Him and others, and in honesty, we say, God, I am afraid. I'm afraid. Now, I spoke at one of my kids' schools a number of weeks ago, and, and I spoke to them about fear. This was in light of the Easter resurrection. And I asked them, a whole bunch of primary school kids, you know, what are the kinds of things you're afraid of? And so a number of them said, yeah, I'm afraid of the dark. A number of them said, well, I'm afraid of monsters. And one kid said, I'm afraid of dying. And then I ask for a hands up, who's afraid of spiders? And all their hands went up there, and we, we know that's arachnophobia. My wife's got a fear of frogs, which is apparently called renodophobia. Speaking to kids, I, I was quite well aware that many of them had arithmophobia. All right, fear of maths or fear of numbers. If you have the following fear, I want to pray for you for healing. It's the fear of belly buttons, omphalophobia. And, and, and apparently I've got kytophobia, which is the fear of hair. So jokes aside, at, at various levels, I'm sure there's not a person in the room that is not at some conscious or unconscious level sitting here with fear. You know, it might be a fear of not having enough or the fear of not being enough. I think a fear that is so relevant for us, Mike, is the fear of suffering. Maybe the fear of growing old or the fear of dying, the fear of losing loved ones or the fear of being overwhelmed by grief and loss. Maybe it's the fear of being alone or the fear of being known and being loved. Maybe it's the fear of failures and, and we wake up every morning full of fear of the thousands of ways we're going to let people down. Something I struggle with is the fear of not meeting people's expectations. Something that is so real for us here, the fear of the future the fear of what will happen if I stay in South Africa or the fear of what will happen if I leave South Africa. Some of us may even wake up with a debilitating fear. Am I saved? If I had to die today, what is going to happen to me? Now, on one hand, fear, like all emotions, are God-given emotions, and they have an appropriate role they are to play in our lives, a good role, when they are in right proportion, fulfilling their right function. For example, if you're walking through town and your two-year-old starts running towards the traffic, that fear that grips you is going to spring you into action to give you the speed and the strength and the courage to pull your two-year-old out of danger. We shared with you a testimony a number of months ago where our family was confronted with an intruder in our home. And of course, we were so afraid after that. 
But that fear also caused us to do a number of things. It caused us just to reflect on just our structures and home at home, maybe become a little bit more aware. The, the scriptures even speak about a different kind of good fear, Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, now what does that mean? Do I have to be afraid of God the same way I'm afraid of an intruder coming into my home? Because this can be confusing, right? And at the heart of a lot of our fear is, fear is anticipation of harm. And yet if I understand my identity in Christ rightly, that in Christ, He is my good Father who desires good things for me. In that sense of the word, no, we are not to fear God like we would cancer or my child running across the street into the traffic. However, there is another side to it. And I love that when C.S. Lewis wrote his Narnia Chronicles, his picture of God was this fearsome lion. And this is what it says about him. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is not a tame lion. And I often in my mind's eye, I put myself into this picture here. What would it mean to be a little eight-year-old child in the presence of this fearsome lion? And I would be in awe when he calls me a friend. But I don't think I'd ever take my eyes off of him, right? He's not tame. He's not safe, but he's good. And so that's a good fear. And even these negative feelings are good in their right place and proportion, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about when fear is playing the wrong role in our lives. When instead of fear being a servant to me, when my kid is running into the traffic, fear becomes a servant to me. It alerts me something is wrong and it calls me into action. What I'm speaking about today is when fear becomes my master. When it affects and infects all aspects of my life. My personality, the choices I make, the way I engage in relationship are all driven by fear. And we become slaves to fear. Now think about the kind of classic response to fear. I'm sure you've all heard about fight, flight, or freeze. Now again, in the appropriate circumstances, it is good to fight. There are going to be moments when because of the danger that we are in, the best thing that we can do is fight. But when that is out of control, I'm not just fighting to get out of dangerous situations. I'm fighting everyone and I'm fighting everything. And I would suggest that at some level, you're being driven by fear. Or what about flights? Once again, in certain circumstances, the best thing to do is to get out of there. Good fear. It's my, it's my servants. But when fear is my, my master, I'm running away from everything. I'm running away from everyone. And it doesn't matter where I run, I'm always running because I'm driven by fear. 
Or what about freeze? You know, sometimes in school, we learn the silliest things that we never apply. It was always drummed into my head. If an ostrich runs towards you, lie flat. Has anyone ever here been in that situation? Well, here's another one. Apparently, the best thing to do, correct me if I'm wrong, when a rhino is around, is to stand still, to freeze. That's it playing its right role in my life. But when fear means I am immobile, I'm unable to make any decision. I cannot move forward or sideways or backwards. I am frozen to a single spot in my life because of fear. And at some level, I'm sure every single one of us can identify with this. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you may have heard the following truth, which is, it's a a wonderful truth. And that is the most common command in Scripture is not do not pray or do not tithe or sorry, tithe, sorry, pray, positive, tithe or whatever. The most common command in Scripture is do not fear. In fact, apparently it comes up 365 times, which is wonderful. One command per every day. But I know some of you are like, God, I don't know if that helps me. It's like, have you ever been in a situation where you're getting tense and all worked up and somebody has the incredible wisdom to say to you, chill. Has that ever worked? And in the same way, okay, God, I'm fighting or I'm fleeing or I'm frozen because of fear in my life and you're just telling me to not be afraid. That's not helping me. And so today we're going to try to get beneath that, but I think at the very least, those 365 commands show you that God's heart for you is to be free from fear. And God's heart for you is to learn to live life in that freedom, driven by something else that replaces the fear in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to trust that God can heal us and help us, restore us and mature us with regards to our fear today. And so I want to talk about four countermeasures to the fear that we have in our lives that come up in Scripture. And the first one is the countermeasure of God's presence. There are so many verses that say what the following two verses say. But listen to the reason to not be afraid. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Why? Because the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. By the way, Jesus confirms that in Matthew 28. Isaiah 41 verses 10. So do not fear. Why? For I am with you. The countermeasure of God's presence. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, this makes so much sense, right? Because when I was a child or when my children wake up and they're afraid, they do one of two things. Mom, Dad! Why they want our presence? Or they run into our room and jump into our bed. There's something about being surrounded 
with the presence of someone amongst whom we're safe. That assures us. And fear is less powerful in those moments. And so what God wants to give us is a peace and an assurance in the middle of our fears. But the way He does that is by giving us, as we say, and we drum this into our heads and hearts here at Riverside, He does this by giving us Himself. God's peace and God's rest does not come apart from Himself. They come with His presence. And so as we learn to turn to God's presence in the time that we are so afraid, we learn to be aware of His presence. We learn to seek His presence. We learn to enjoy His presence. And as an outcome of that, God just pours peace into our hearts and an assurance. This is why David prays so famously in Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because evil goes away? No. Mike, sometimes we carry on walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but uh, I don't have to fear the evil. Why? Because you are with me. The countermeasure of God's presence. Number two, the countermeasure of God's love. 1 John 4 verses 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I love this verse because it's just what love does. When you're dealing with your fear and you're like, God, what must I do with my fear? How can I get rid of my fear? The first countermeasure invites us into God's presence. The second countermeasure invites us into His love. And then love just does. And what does love do? Love expels fear. And God's perfect love perfectly expels fear. It is something that God naturally does in our lives. This is why Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for the Spirit of God gave us, uh, the, the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid or afraid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. I've often mentioned that um, just some of the work of the now late Dallas Willard has really helped me grow and mature in some of these kind of inner life realities of our faith. And he writes this, he says, love, joy, and peace fostered in divine fellowship. Simply crowd out fear, anger, and unsatisfied desire, woundedness, and rejection. There is no longer room for them. And we're going to come back to this a bit later in the message. Well, perhaps there is for a while, but increasingly less so as we foster love, joy, and peace in divine fellowship. The countermeasure of God's love in our lives when it comes to our fear. Number three, the countermeasure of God's truth. Now, I want to speak about God's truth at two levels. The one level is because I fundamentally believe that all truth is God's truth. There's not a chapter and verse for why the sky appears blue to us. 
But when science gives us some great answers, that's all God's truth because He gave us this world. And so truth is always our friend when it comes to fear. For example, let's say you're walking through Ritflay and you see a snake. Immediately you jump back and you're afraid. But then maybe on second look, oh wait, it's not a snake, it's a branch. (gasps) And after your heart stops racing, that fear is gone because of the truth. Now, it's not always that easy, right? When it comes to the things of our hearts, when it comes to our fears, which are so often not rational, but very irrational. But I believe we need to learn how to discern what is true, what is circumstantially true, and also what is true about what God says about who we are, about who He is, about how He relates to us in the situation and the wisdom that He gives us for this situation. There's a very famous story in the book of 1 Kings about Elijah. And he has that famous showdown with the prophets of Baal. Remember that? The one who answers from heaven with fire is the one true God. And the prophets of Baal were dancing and cutting themselves and shouting and praying. And no God responded with fire. But the one God of heaven answered Elijah's prayer and consumed that sacrifice, that altar and all the water from heaven, vindicating who God is. What a powerful spiritual high. What a powerful spiritual moment. Except... There was a queen, Queen Jezebel, who was not very happy with what went down. And so when Elijah finds out that she wants his head on a platter, he hightails it out of there and disappears. And he runs far away and finds himself in a cave. And then he experiences the presence of God in a powerful way, the love of God in a powerful way. But listen to what he says to God in this moment of fear. He says, The Israelites have rejected your covenants, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And God says, listen, Elijah, some of that is true, but it's not all true. And your job is not yet done. And I'm going to send you back to complete the work that you've started But I'm also going to give you the truth of the situation. Verse 18, God says to Elijah, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You're not the only one left. You're not the last one. I've got 7,000 knees that have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So when it comes to fear, we need to learn to interrogate our fears with truth with God's truth and God's perspective in our lives. And finally, the fourth countermeasure is the countermeasure of faith in God. This is the act of choosing to come to God with my fears. This is the act of choosing the first three countermeasures, choosing in the middle of my fear and my deep debilitating experiences, I'm going to choose God's presence. I'm going to choose God's love. I'm going to choose God's truth. That's the one side of faith, receiving what is good and true from God. And then I'm going to live that out. 
I'm going to now live in light of God's presence, God's love, and God's truth. And the decisions that I make and the way that I walk this earth is not going to be driven by my fear, but by God's presence, God's love, and God's truth. And that is faith. Sure, Stephen, that sounds on one hand so easy, but this is easier said than done, right? Am I going to get this right? And you know what? The answer is probably you're not going to get it right. But here's where God's grace is still sufficient for us. Another famous story, don't have time to get into all of the details, but the disciples are on a boat on the water and they look out and coming through the mist is what looks like a ghost. Peter looks a bit closer and he realizes, I think this is Jesus. Hey, Jesus, if that is really you, call to me, I will get out of this boat and walk. So Jesus says, it is really me, Peter. Come and walk towards me. So what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. His eyes are fixed on Jesus and he walks on the water. A true miracle if ever there was one. But then he looks around him and he looks at his circumstances, which is a whole sermon on its own. And it says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, in moments like this, as much as I'm so grateful to have the words of Jesus, I wish we had the tone of Jesus. Was he kind of, uh, Steve, uh, Peter, uh, I put myself in Peter's shoes all the time. Peter, what's wrong with you, man? You stupid. Yeah, you're so pathetic. What's wrong with your faith? I don't know. The more, maybe this is just me, but the more I look at our Father's heart for us, the more I look at the person of Jesus, I suspect there was a twinkle in his eye. I suspect that there was something, a tongue-in-cheek. Peter, yes, there's a challenge. What happened to your faith there, my friend? But here's what I love about the story, and here's the point that I want to make. When Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, and when he was walking on water, there was an incredible thing that happened. And when he took his eyes off Jesus and he fell into the water, another incredible thing happened. Jesus was there for him and pulled him out. And so as we learn to trust Jesus with our fear, are we going to be walking on water as of today? Probably not. And what we're probably going to do is walk on water a little bit and look around me and fall in and Jesus is going to pull you up. And then the next day, buoyed up with that faith and the assurance of Jesus' presence, we're going to walk on water again. And then we're going to look around us or read a news headline or hear about what's going on in the family story. And then we're going to sink in again and Jesus is going to pull us up. Rinse and repeat. But as that happens in our lives, I've got no doubts that our faith is going to grow. And the assurance that Jesus is there for me and with me is going to grow. And fear is going to lose its stranglehold in my life. And so here's the million dollar question. Stephen, you've given us these four countermeasures. The countermeasure of God's presence, 
of God's love, of God's truth, and how we choose that, the counter of measure of faith in God. Now, those are great ideas, and I'm convinced, but what does that look like? And I know that in some ways, this answer is going to sound like such a cliche, but I'm just in a season of my life when I'm starting to realize that most of my work with God is done in prayer. The way I engage His presence, the way I engage His love, the way I engage His truth, and then walk in faith, that work is done in prayer because it is so easy to sit here and say yes and amen and nothing shifts in us. And so how do we work with what God is wanting to do in our lives? And I want to encourage you, and I'm going to illustrate this in a second, that we do this in prayer. Think about God's presence. Yes, you can wake up in the morning and at some level have this understanding, oh, God God is with me. But I think something radically changes when I stop. I go into my closet, whatever that may be, and I say, Jesus, I need your presence. I've got this meeting. I've got this crisis. I've got this indecision. I've got anxiety over the following things. And I need the countermeasure of your presence. We allow our mind to go to some of these verses Jesus, your word says that I should not be afraid because you are with me. Jesus, you said that you will never leave me nor forsake me. You said that even though today might be a day when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your word says I don't have to fear the valley. Even as I walk through the valley, why? Because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Jesus, I come to you needing your presence. Some of you may say, but isn't God's presence with us all the time anyway? I think, and the answer is yes, 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 yes. God's presence is with you all the time. I think the shift happens in us. That we desire his presence. We seek his presence. We invite his presence into our pain and our fears. We become more aware of his presence. That changes everything. And that is done in prayer. Think about love. Once again, right now, are all of us who are in Christ so deeply loved by God? And the answer is yes. But as I'm, I'm trying to help us grow, and I include myself in this, it's not enough just to know that with my mind. Paul prays that praise that we will know this love in a way that surpasses understanding. That I will know that I know that I know that I know God's love in my life. So how does that happen? That is done in prayer. And once again, maybe you've got some verses. Maybe you write down some of the verses we looked at today. Lord, your word says that you are love. Your word says that God is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Lord, your word says that perfect love drives out fear. Lord, your word says that I am rooted and I am established in love. Take your pick. But we shut the rest of the world out. 
We bring our fears to God and we say, Lord, I need your love today. Think about God's truth. We can say, you know, at, at the end of these contracts that we sign, there's a little box that we need to tick. Do you agree with the terms and conditions? And how many of you ever read those terms and conditions? Most of you probably not. Lord, can I do that with your word? Okay, Lord, everything you say is true, cool. Amen. Now, God wants us to trust his word, to engage his truth, to seek wisdom for his truth and his word to become like a lamp to my feet, to guide my heart that I learn the voice of Jesus because my sheep will know my voice. And so if I want to seek the truth of God, I do this in prayer. I want to tell you a story I, I might have told you before. This happened a number of years ago and in various ways since then as well. But there was a time when I woke up over the course of about two weeks. I woke up on at least four occasions just frustrated woken up from a very fearful and frustrating dream. And I just kind of wrote it off. Until after a while, I realized because of these dreams, I'm just like living this life with this fear and this frustration. And then the thought came to me, well, bring it to the Lord. So, Lord, I need your presence. Lord, I need your love. Lord, I need your truth. And so what I did was just in the Lord's presence, got my journal out and I started writing down all the things that were burdening me with fear and frustration at that time. It's always a good thing. It's always a good thing for us to learn to see our own hearts and our circumstances with clarity. And as I wrote these things out, I got to about 10 things that were a particular burden to me at that time. And then I brought those to the Lord. Lord, number one, I am frustrated and full of fear because of, and just prayed it out because the Lord's word says that we should cast our burdens onto Him because He cares for us. And so, Lord, I'm casting my burdens onto You. And I started praying through these fears and these burdens. And you know, by the time I got to the end of praying through those 10 fears and burdens, about seven of those were completely untrue. 70% of my fear and frustration were not in truth. And the last three were significant. But you know the burden that God took off my back simply because He showed me what is true, either about my circumstances or about His presence or His love for me. And then we could somehow deal with the other three together. And then finally, faith. And I believe by choosing to do this, it is a sign of our faith. By choosing to bring my fear before God. By choosing to carve out some time. Lord, I need your help, so I'm going to give you time and space to help me. And I'm going to seek your presence. That's an act of faith. God, I need your presence. God, I need your love. And it's an act of faith. I need your love. I need your truth. 
And as we receive these good gifts from God, we go and we live, which is the B-side of our faith, that I live in light of the fact that I am so deeply loved by Him. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He has given me truth and wisdom and perspective. Now I'm no longer and driven by my fear. I'm driven by my relationship with Jesus Christ. That is faith. And then the hard part. We do it again tomorrow. And then we do it again the next day. I can't promise you that the first time you do this, all your fear is going to magically disappear. Hey, we serve a God of miracles as we heard earlier. And God can and sometimes does. But I believe the faith is persevering with God in this being dependent on God's presence, love, and truth in this every day. I was introduced, not in person, but just via uh, a talk to a guy by the name of Gary Haugen. He's an American civil rights lawyer, and he founded and he's the CEO of, a, of, of an organization called the International Justice Mission. And they're probably the biggest and most effective of its kind, working in the most darkest places in this world to rescue victims from injustice and to bring justice legally to the perpetrators of injustice. Coincidentally, he was actually at some level involved in the fall of apartheid here in South Africa. But one of their first assignments as the International Justice Mission was to help bring justice to the country of Rwanda after the Rwandan genocide. Just helping victims be released from that injustice and bringing them into freedom and at the same time working tirelessly to bring justice to the perpetrators, legally the perpetrators of the injustice. Now you've got to imagine, if those are the kinds of places they work and they've got offices all around the world, they are like just like bringing down empires of injustice and crime. And so no, these criminals don't love them. And so regularly, the people who work for this organization are threatened. And there was even a story when they were working in Kenya and, and the, the, the crime in the police force of Kenya was so corrupt and so bad, the International Justice Mission got involved and one of their lawyers was assassinated. Do you know that not a single person resigned after that? In fact, their workforce grew by 20%. But because he's so aware of who they are working for and who they are working against and the reality of what that means, talk about fear. He has mandated, this is part of their job description, that every single employee of International Justice Mission, first half an hour of every single day, it is spent in silence. By the way, Gary Haugen is a devout Christian. All of his passion and all of his ideologies come from a Christian worldview and his faith in Jesus. And so in the first half an hour of every single day, every single employee 
has to spend 30 minutes in silence in what he calls ruthlessly confronting their fears. And by ruthlessly, he says, go there. Name them. Identify those fears in your heart and bring them out before the one who can truly, who we can truly trust with our fears. Half an hour every single day, ruthlessly confronting our fears in the presence of Jesus. Imagine we did that. Imagine the possibilities of our businesses, of our marriages, of our families, if we could become free from the fear that shackles us and taints our decisions. And so today is, man, we're going to be praying for a second because we believe Jesus is here by His Spirit in as real a way as He was there 2,000 years ago walking around planet Earth. And we're going to trust that we can encounter Jesus with our fears. But I want to invite you that what becomes part of our routine with God is, Lord, I need you. And I'm going to ruthlessly face my fears with you. And I'm going to carve out space in my life for you to do what only you can do. So I want to pray for us. And the first area I'm going to pray is just to pray through the areas we're fighting, the areas we're fleeing, and the areas where we're freezing, we feel immobile. Father, even now as an act of faith, we choose to sit here and not just say, great sermon, move on with life. We choose to stop and pause. We choose to allow you to show us the states and the fears of our hearts. Oh, and that's scary. And sometimes shameful when I realize just how much of my life is driven by fear. Lord, help us see those areas of our lives where we are just fighting everything and everyone. And help us see the fear beneath that. Search my heart, O oh God. And as the Spirit shows you these fears, just agree with Him by, yes, this is the fear. This is what I'm afraid of. And here's why. Lord, help me see where I am just fleeing, where I am running from everyone and everything. I'm running from relationships. 
I'm running from opportunities. Maybe I'm physically running somewhere. And God, I realize there is an irrational fear beneath that. Lord, some of us here this morning, and Holy Spirit, help us. We're immobile. We don't know which way to turn, forward or backward or left or right. We don't know how to make decisions in life, in relationship. We're so afraid. And so Jesus, as you're helping us identify our fears, in faith, we come to you with our fears. And God, the first thing we need above all things is you, your faithful, loving, gracious presence and the rest and the peace that comes from who you are with me. God, before you fix me, I need you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Holy Spirit, help us know that not only with our minds, but with our hearts. You are closer than a brother to us. In fact, the Spirit of He who raised us from the dead is here with us right now. Jesus, we also choose to trust your love. It is so tempting for me to say, Jesus, just take my fear away. But God wants his love to be the thing that replaces your fear. He doesn't just want to leave a void in your life. Jesus, your word says that fear has no place in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And so Jesus, right now, Romans 5, 5, with your Holy Spirit, pour the love of Christ into our hearts and do what love does, and that is to expel our fear. Help us, God. Help our unbelief right now. Soften our hearts where we're so used to hardening our hearts to people and people's love because of people's failures permeates our hard hearts with your love right now. You are with us and you are for us. And Father, I pray that you would shine the truth of your word into our fears. And God, we need to grow in this. We need such discernment And so God, give us that discernment. Give us clarity in this moment. So that we can, in fact, see the wood from the trees. What is true versus what is false. And Lord, some of us, even having done that, 
maybe that valley of the shadow of death doesn't immediately go away, but we can still count on your presence and your love to be a rod and a staff to us in some of our very real fears. God, maybe we have good reason to be afraid, but may we be released from slavery to fear. as we're overwhelmed by your presence and your love. And Father, from here we go to a very real world, a fearful world, a world that is going to challenge the faith that we've just exercised. And so we're going to choose you today. We're going to choose you tomorrow. We're going to choose your presence, your love and your truth the next day with the next fear And Father, just like that inspirational story we just heard, we're going to make this a habit of our lives to come to you dependent on your presence, love, and truth. And I pray that chains will be breaking right now in the presence of you, Jesus. And lastly, church, this is not a road to walk alone. And I know sometimes we even find it shameful to speak of our fears to admit to others what has been driving me for so long. Some of us have just become so used to fear in our lives, we cannot imagine our lives without fear. And so we need our brothers and our sisters to hear us, to love us, to support us, to remind us of God's truths, of God's love and God's presence in prayer and in counsel. And so church, just as we've been doing over the last few weeks, I don't want us to leave this place too quickly. I know some of you have plans and just may today be a great blessing for you. But we've got some time to remain in this space with God. Allow Him to continue the work He has started. Maybe some of you feel moved just to go and pray with someone. And maybe you don't even have the right words. You put your arms around them and you just ask for more of God's presence and more of God's love and more of God's truth. Even if that's all you pray, it's amazing. Maybe you've got a particular burden that you would just like some, some leaders and some others in the church to pray with you. Please just come to the front and some of our prayer team and our leadership will pray with you. These same things. And so, Lord, the work that you have started today, by faith, we're going to continue in this work. Things don't change just because the pastor says amen. Help us live by faith and walk by faith. Your presence goes with us. Your love surrounds us and compels us. And your truth is a light unto our feet. And help us live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.